Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Cool, let's just do it one more time. Why? Because we love making movies. Hey everybody, my name is Aaron Jalabolo and welcome to my podcast because we love making movies. My guest today is a production designer of films and television and she just happened to design my favorite film of last year, Nightmare Alley. It's the new film from Guillermo del Toro who created films like Pan's Labyrinth, Devil's Backbone, Shape of Water for which he won two Academy Awards and now this beautiful reimagining of the noir that could not be more relevant today. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Tamara Deverell. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Thank you for doing this, Tamara. You're most welcome. My pleasure. So I wanted to start by asking you, how did you become a production designer? How did you find your way to being a filmmaker? You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about that as my father flew through uh, Toronto on his way home from Costa Rica. And at some point I, I was studying at art school for a million years, studying everything. Like I just wanted to do everything in art school, sculpture, printmaking, painting, filmmaking, photography, uh, art history. I majored in all of those things. And my father, at some point when I was a young woman said, you know, maybe you should work in film. Now he didn't know anything about film. He's a writer, but oh, he knew wow. he's, he started as a criminal lawyer and he started writing novels, which he still does. And, uh, he said, I just think that, you know, with all your everything, there must be a place for you in film. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm not going to listen to my dad. But then I, you know, so I was just reflecting on that now. And I was sort of like, you know, he was kind of right because, you know, being a filmmaker and being a production designer in particular, I think it really is a, it really, you really do have to have a basket full of skills and um, interests and visions and just like, you're really a Jack or Jane of all trades in a way, mm-hmm. you know, so I've done prop building, I've done carpentry, I've done, I've worked in a hospital, but everything, everything sort of lined up for me to work as a production designer. Um, it wasn't a straight course for me, like studying architecture and then deciding to do production design. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of went a little bit ass backwards, if you don't mind me saying, no, and please. I studied, I studied filmmaking at the end of my long stand in art school. And then I, I started working in film production in the costume department, actually, um, through, a, through a, a bit of nepotism. It was a producer that my father knew as a writer. And um, I, uh, so I, I, I saw there was an art department. I, I, I looked and I was like, oh, what do I have to do to do that? That feels more what I'm interested in. And then I learned how to draft and how to draw and how to do graphics and and we started working in the art department at that point. So, okay. So let's back up. So where did you grow up? Did you grow up in, in uh, Costa Rica or, or no, no, no but my, my, my parents did build a house down there. That's uh, kind of a family home now, but uh, no, I grew up in Vancouver actually. Oh, okay. And okay. I went to Emily Carr college of art and design. 
and um, and Capilano University. And then I went to when I first started working, I went to Montreal. That's where I first I got in to work in in the costume department. And then I was uh, had the good fortune of working with a Canadian designer, Francois Seguin, who a Quebec designer who's um, an amazing talent. And uh, he kind of took me under his wing. And mm-hmm. you know, I think for all young people sort of starting out, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And he. Um, you know, I, I started as sort of a set buyer, set dresser, and then, you know, people saw that I could draw and that I had talents. And then I started studying drafting and I was like the only, the only class I could take working in the film industry was a night course in engine drafting for engineering. And I think it was probably the year before it went um, completely uh, CAD drafting. So we were hand drafting and because I'm artistic and I could draw, I had perfect line weights and all of this stuff. And, um, and learned how to draft like, you know, nuts and bolts of engineering pieces, but it was a way in so that when I started working more in the art department, I could actually draw architecturally a little bit. I mean, I had to learn on the job. Right, right. And now, and so I'm curious too, when you were younger, you said you were kind of always artistically inclined and loved and, and, and I mean, what were, what were, who were some of the artists and, and some of the films and filmmakers that kind of inspired you when you were very young, even if you, even if you weren't aware of it, you know, those movies that you go, wow, you, that you, now you go, oh, that was the film or the, that was the painting or the artist. I mean, when I was really young, like, you know, I couldn't see Mary Poppins enough times. Oh, and then, yeah, I, and then yeah. later in life, I worked with Julie Anders and I thought I was going to die. Wow. <laughs> Both me and the director were so excited to meet her. But um, I worked on this thing called Eloise. Uh, you know, like I really liked the, you know, films like they weren't about art direction, really. Like, right, right. I have right. to say my the films that I liked were about the stories. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm drawing a blank. Nashville, any Robert oh. Altman films I loved. MASH, like, you know, as a young person, those were yeah. great films. Um, oh, gosh, you know, I, you know, being an art student, I would go and see a lot of European cinema, a lot of mm-hmm. avant-garde, you know, cinema. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I would see Star Wars and go, wow, wow, mm-hmm. like, this is totally, like, Right. Unbelievable. You know, so well, it's it's so funny you say that, though, because I think what you're like, there's a great story about when uh, Ronald Reagan became the president. He went to the White House and was like, where's the war room? And 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 it was because and they were like, Mr. President, there's no war room here. Like Dr. Strangelove, because that film, Ken Adams designs made him think it was real, you know, and it's yeah. it's it's the idea of like you look at a movie like Nashville, like, oh, you can say, oh, it's not necessarily sets that are built but the immaculate reality of that movie and the art direction and the and the 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 color palette is so perfect you know you don't it immerses you in the world in such a wonderful way so i feel like subconsciously you were aware of those things oh Uh, most definitely and i think also you know one of the things i i think you know as a production designer i feel like a frustrated sculptor like and especially on a film like nightmare alley Mm. Um, you know, which was very sculptural in many ways. Like we did a lot of the fun house was a lot of sculpted pieces and sculpture was, I, I think I wanted to be a sculptor and I, I think I kind of am a sculptor mm-hmm. in a way as a production designer, like I'm sculpting sets. I don't think of them. I'm not just trying to replicate reality. I'm trying to enhance reality in that, mm. in a way with a director like Guillermo, who, who really pushes all the, like he pushes you to the outer limit. So mm you know, that the sets become so vitally important in his, in all his work. Um, so how did you, how did you meet Guillermo? Um, uh, you know, I'm just so curious, like how, how did you meet him and, and, and get the job and, and what was it like when you read Nightmare Alley for the first time? I mean, I'm, it's so. Uh, 
Well, I, I've known Guillermo for a long time and uh, I worked with him. So when back to my the beginning of my career, I moved from Montreal to Toronto when I started really working in film. And I worked with Carol Spear, who's um, a good friend and a contemporary um, and and my mentor, basically. And so she w- she worked with Guillermo a few times. And one of the films that I worked with her as the art director was uh, Mimic. Oh which, yes, with with is, also with Dan Lauston. I love also the with I, Dan, yeah. I love I love how you guys have all come full circle now in this film because I'm because now for, t- please tell us about the mimic experience for both you and Guillermo because it's it's legendarily nightmarish for Guillermo. It was it was nightmarish for Guillermo. It was I mean it was not, the Weinstein's were, were nightmarish mm-hmm. uh, certainly yes. for yeah. for him more than anybody. I mean Carol and I didn't have, you know, we tried not to have that much to do with them. Like they were, you know, even then it was kind of like Harvey Weinstein was around and I was just like, Ooh, you know, oh. I was a young mother at the time. And I was like, no, you know, Guillermo was a young father at the time. This was not, you know, Guillermo's a gentle soul and a gentle person. And it was not something that he was looking for in his career as a, as a, you know, it was one of the, you know, it's the biggest movie he'd, he'd done, sure. I think. And sure. yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, thank God he had launched him. Uh, they became very close. Um, Dan's English wasn't so good then, but <laughs> and Carol and me, and uh, we worked really hard. Um, but it was a struggle for him, certainly, to tell the story he wanted to to, to tell. Um, so when and, you when you met him on Mimic, so if that's the first time that you worked with <laughs> him, what what was if you can remember what was sort of a moment where you said to yourself, oh, this is a different kind of director. This is this is not going to be the usual experience. You know, I think, oh, gosh, there's so many moments. I mean, I have funny stories from Mimic where um, you know he is his attention to detail is like no other, and and you know he's always carrying around a sketchbook and you go, okay, this guy is not just any old director he draws. He's an artist right. himself. And so for us in the art department, you know, for me and Carol and the rest of our team, that becomes something really important because we can relate on a visual level. And a lot, mm. you know, I love a lot of directors, but some of them just don't, they can't look at a drawing. They can't understand, mm-hmm. you know, a render or a sketch. And with Guillermo, it's different. You can draw with him, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I just like, he, he just has a passion and a gentleness and a, and he's so damn smart. You know, the guy knows everything. He's a walking encyclopedia. So along with being an artist and encyclopedia, you just get that right away. I also saw him as a, you know, his, his girls were young at the time and I saw him as a young father, um, which really made me feel as a young mother at the time, because we're kind of comparable. It, you know, our kids are similar ages. And mine are a little bit older, but mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I kind of went, oh, this is this is cool. This guy is like, you know, he's doing his dream, but he's still a family man. And and yeah. and he still, you know, loves his children. And, you know, he's passionate about just life in general. He's very loving. He's a very loving man. And so it's easy to it's easy to work with him, even when he's grouchy, you know, which he is. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, I had crazy stories of Mimic, like Guillermo so persnickety. We had these giant sort of Madagascar cockroaches in Mimic, the stories about cockroaches. And oh, yeah. He wanted them, he wanted them colored. He wanted them hand painted. Now, nowadays we do them all as VFX, but at the time we, we decided we would, he wanted this sort of marking on the backs of these cockroaches. And he, and so it was like, somebody had to do it. And it was like, nobody in the paint department wanted to touch the cockroaches. Nobody in hair and makeup wanted to touch the cockroach. Everybody was like, I'm not doing this. Much. So cut to me a few days into this, trying to get somebody to do this on my desk with these frozen cockroaches <laughs> and trying to paint them with this little tiny brush with, with Clinique with like 
you know, they had to have special makeup because they were sensitive. Uh, <laughs> so I'd, I'd be painting them and they warm up. And as they warmed up, they'd start to move. And I'd be painting. And I just remember Guillermo coming in and laughing his head off at me. And I was like, <laughs> you made me do this. And that kind of says everything about yeah. our relationship. Yeah, yeah, that's really. It was funny and we were doing crazy things. <laughs> that is so wonderful. That, that I mean, I think two things that, that brings to mind is, you know, part of the reason I started this podcast, because we love making movies, is that I think when, when movie making goes well, it's a family experience. It's a life experience, you know, and the, yeah. because it's so hard to do, make a film as it is, to do it with people who you don't really love and want to spend a lot of time with, it's even harder. And so that's just so refreshing to hear that that's been the case since almost day one, you know, mm-hmm. of your your guys' relationship. And the other, the set that always stands out to me in Mimic is the children's hospital uh, with the beds, the white beds, which is sort of this throwback a little bit to Kronos, but taken even further. Yeah. Talk about that set, because that set's so that great. Was, I mean, that was really, that's the genius of Guillermo. And it's interesting because that's very much a Guillermo thing to choose these long hallways. Mm. He's always going, and we did that a lot in Mimic, in, in Nightmare Alley, sorry, mm. alleys, long, long, long throws, long, uh, narrow sets. So um, interestingly, that was a very, we, we built a plug at the end of that. It, it, it was all, all on location. And um, and we devised this, Eleanor Galbraith was the uh, set decorator at the time. Which, and we built these beds and we found this amazing sort of plasticky fabric and we tested it. And we just, it was just about the multitude of beds and the repeated forms. And um, yeah, I love that set. It's exquisite. Exquisite. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And okay. So funny aside from that, that was our first day of filming on Mimic. And it's at the um, R.C. Harris Water Filtration Plant, which is um, this beautiful Art Deco building in, in Toronto. But it's it's basically a, a sewage treatment plant. Um, <laughs> but it's a historic building. And we shot there on the first day of Mimic. Where did we shoot on our first day on Nightmare Alley? At the same place, some 22, I think, years later, at that same location, which was Grindel's factory. Wow. So the, the rich, oh, um, oh, so when when that great exterior when shot, big, when they yeah. pull in and it's kind of the brutalist architecture that's that's just yeah. like you're going to the – it's it looks kind of like you're going to a prison, but it's, yeah. you know, from a movie perspective, but no, it's his office. It's, like his, what it's a, his factory. The factory, yeah. And yeah. So, so the first part, when they go in and they go into that building, they go up to the security desk, which mm. we built, but it's the same hall from Mimic in that that they walk Wow. Wow. And then, and then they're in the set after that. So. Oh my God, that is so fantastic! Okay, so and, let's. No, no, tell me, tell me, tell, no, no. And we didn't. I didn't. Re, I wasn't aware of it until we were actually shooting on that our first day. And Penny Charter, who was our second AD, and who was the second AD on Mimic, again part of the same Guillermo family for so many years, she said, "You know, this is our anniversary of shooting at the our first day at the same place," wow. and we were like, "Oh my God, we were gobsmacked." So, wow. and wow. it was like me and Dan and Guillermo, obviously, and Penny and a couple other people in the crew as well um, that were, I That's... think our continuity person was on the Mimic crew as well. It's so special though, because you guys have the movies to mark the time, you know, it's like, it's like mm-hmm. that people always said about, you know, Coppola, they were like, well, why did you, you know, you put your daughter in your movies? He goes, cause they're, they're my home movies. He's like, when I, when I want to remember what my daughter looked like as a baby, I can go watch the Godfather, you know, the baptism yeah, scene, you know, very much so. Yeah. So I think that's so, that's so sweet uh, and, and lovely. 
Um, so let's talk about Nightmare Alley because I got to go see it at the Directors Guild and Guillermo came out and had a wonderful conversation with Nicole Holof Center afterwards. And it was, right. I was just, I've loved all of Guillermo, Guillermo's movies because he, to me, is one of those filmmakers that just keeps surprising you. You know, af- each film you kind of go, wow, he can do that. He can do that. And with this film, everybody was like, oh, there's no monsters. There are no ghosts. And and I just knew it was going to be something special because this idea of, you know, in all of his films, man is the monster, you know, usually like in Pan's Labyrinth and in Shape of Water, it was Michael Shannon and uh, yeah. who was really the monster. And so I just, you know, it was, it was, it's such a remarkable movie on so many different levels. The script is meticulous, the acting, the costume, the color palette and your design and I just wanted to talk to you about what you felt like when you read the script and then how did you guys, how did you prepare? And also the, the last thing is, you know, with, like you said, someone like Guillermo who draws and is an artist, how do you inspire him and how do you bring sort of, how do you contribute and collaborate with someone who might be intimidating to other artists? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I think, um, I think that he, rather than being intimidating, which he can be, um, you know, there's a language there that 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 we have, and and I think my sort of my go-to for most product, most things I approach um, is from. I, I mean, I like to work with story and character, and and mm. uh, really get to know the characters. And Guillermo, working with Guillermo, he does a background for characters, and he he really fills you in as a department head. And then I also like to um, do a tremendous amount of research and just sort of feel it out. You know, I wasn't born in a 1930s carnival and, and you just have to dive deep into that. And then, and then my way of working with Guillermo is to just show him as much as I can. Uh, sometimes I feel like I might overload, mm. but I do try to sort of curate um, things that just really excite me. And like some of it was the art deco, like Lilith's office. There were a mm. few references that I had that were, I showed Guillermo and he was like, yes, that's it. We want to do this wood. We want to do this veneer. There's a, you know, I, I mean, I've talked about this before. There's a, a in the Brooklyn Museum, there's a, a study that's been reconstructed in the museum. That's all, all of veneers. And I, I, that was my one go-to place. And then there's another place called the, uh, it's in, it's outside of London. Uh, I looked it up because I've forgotten the name. It's called the, um, castle at, some kind of castle, some kind of mansion in um, outside of London in a, the Eltham Castle, uh, which is also all wood. And I just, you know, I go on instinct too. And I was like, you know, I don't want Lilith to be cold. And, you know, a lot of Art Deco is marble and brass mm-hmm. and glass mm-hmm. and bronze mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And we wanted to do that for, for um, the, the, you know, millionaire um, uh, Grindel. So I wanted to do a lot of warm wood for her. And, and that's what sort of drove us. And, and, and again, with Guillermo, it's just sort of like, oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. Let's move on. Let's look at the next thing. You know, it's very instinctual. It's very mm-hmm. it's very mm-hmm. fast. There's a lot of talking. I don't feel like I need to talk to him endlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I need to hit him with I need to hit him with the visuals and say, hey, this is what I want. And sometimes I, you know, I might be off the mark, but he'll just say No. <laughs> Or love it. You know, I'll send him something in the email. It's either, either is like, no, or love it or, or something more. But when he says, I, when he says he loves it, I know he really loves it. And right, I, right, right, right. So I'm like, okay, I'm a go. I'm, I'm running with this now. 
Well, okay. Um, let, let's talk about the sets just kind of, I, I mean, it's sort of in continuity because I just, I love everybody. I rewatched the movie last night again for probably the third or fourth time. And the the house in the beginning, I love that where where Bradley is 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 putting mm. his father in the hole. And and I, I'm so curious about that set because I know you guys also lowered the ceilings to accommodate yes. the sort of the 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 noir ratio and and the whole, you know, the idea of, of that enclosure, the, the feeling of the film, but also talk about how you, how you did that set and then how you guys burned it. I mean, is that, was that all CGI, but, uh, uh, because that set was so much like a sarcophagus oh. to me. <laughs> yeah. Very much like a sarcophagus. Two things about that set. The first illustration that I did, and I don't do all my own illustrations, but I did the one of the country shack. I, I did a lot of research of different shacks and I found one and I just made it burn. And I was like, and, and we really wanted it to be Christina's world, the Andrew Wyeth painting with the yeah, house on the yes, hill, that remarkable, yes. you know, it was, it's so iconic. So, yeah. you know, when you, and that's the language I speak with Guillermo, we speak in terms of paintings and things like mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I did the exterior and then the interior, we were actually, um, it was, it, it didn't end up in the final cut of the film, but we had a flashback scene to a historic um, house in, uh, in Toronto. And so those scenes were cut, but it's like Stan as a young child. And I think in the end, Guillermo felt he didn't need them, but it kind of based the interior on this nice, the nicer house that, that it was before it became the shack. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of that came from this historic location that this, you know, it's like a pioneer village where we were going mm -hmm. and that informed a lot of it. But, you know, one of my favorite things, all time favorite things is just is building cracked plaster, aging, sagging seal. I just love that stuff. I just, you know, mm -hmm. I can't get enough of it. So that's <laughs> a favorite of mine. And then we had to burn it. We actually had to build it. Um, so we built the exterior and burnt it actually like burnt it. Mm -hmm. We had the, you know, there's a way you do that in film. I don't want to, you know, ruin the magic, but of course. But we built it on a hill, the two sides that you see, we didn't build all around. And then mm. we put, you know, and then we built the interior on stage. And um, we were actually going to rebuild part of it on the parking lot because Guillermo felt he wasn't going to be able to get enough fire in there. But I think in the end, we were, sorry, we did, we ended up not rebuilding it on the parking lot. And, uh, he got enough fire. I mean, we had so much fire in there that we were worried we we're going to shut, be shut down. Mm -hmm. Like the fire marshal would say, you can't do this. So was that was that a lot of real fire inside the inside? Yeah. Yes. Well, it looks it looks really great. I mean, it looks wonderful. I mean, there is there is VFX enhancements. So between our very clever special effects team doing the practical fire, and our very clever VFX team doing uh, led by Dennis Berardi, who's got a long history with Guillermo, mm -hmm. you know, they're so good. You don't know how many VFX are in this movie. Right because right. they're that good you know it's right. it's like you know and i and i'm not comparing but you watch a movie like dune and you go okay that's so oh, that's the effects it's well yeah <laughs> and it's part of the design and i mean i've been there yeah. i've done that you know with star sure. trek you're designing you're sure. designing the vfx but on something like our movie the vfx are there to enhance what we're doing and i mean i'm i'm ever so grateful for them because they take you know the carnival looks beautiful but they take the sky and make the sky look magical yeah like a like a like a like the wife paintings you know like the, or the or, or, exactly. or yeah yeah yeah, yeah and the day I, we shot the, the day we shot the the fire the weather wasn't in our favor um and we had positioned that house so that it had the setting sun and we timed the filming of it right at the setting sun and then it clouded over and and it was we were bust but i, I had been there while the guys were building it 
went and the sun was setting and the clouds were incredible. And I took a, about a thousand pictures and I gave them to, um, I gave them to VFX, you know, to Dennis. Yeah. And I said, Dennis, you know, do you want these? He said, yeah, yeah. So it was kind of nice that way. We got, we got this guy we wanted, but it was one that I got to see on the day before. But Wow. Wow. That's, that's so typical of filmmaking that, you yeah. know, it, it, that's just like, it's like the, 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 and, and so let's talk about the carnival because you guys did, did, instead of building that on stages, that is all built outside. Right. And, yeah. and yeah. you can, and you can feel it. I mean, particularly the billowing and the pulsating of the, the breathing yeah. of the tents. It's talk about how you guys approach that. And, and is the Ferris wheel, was that, was that also uh, uh, built? Yeah. Entirely or partially or? No, that was a real 1930 wow. Ferris wheel that just wow. been kicked around Ontario and and in New York State. Like it, wow. it's, it still travels. We had to do a little bit of work to it um, and a little bit of lighting, but it's pretty much in original condi- conditions. So we were really lucky, and we hired these guys. They came and they were like real carnies. They came, they slept there with their piece of equipment like just like they would be at a car- carnival so we yeah we were extremely lucky with that and that was Shane View our decorator found that he found the carousel which we did a ton of work on but mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and especially our special effects people had to make it motorized and then balance it so that we could have a camera on top of it without mm-hmm. tipping the whole thing because the 1930s carousel wasn't meant for that mm-hmm. uh and we embellished it we built these um calliopes where you know the music comes from to hide the it was kind of very plain and it had been repainted in the seventies, these awful seventies disco colors. So we had to lovingly repaint each horse, but the bones were there and um, it was really, yeah, that was a magical thing. And we found um, go-karts that we built a go-kart thing for, which is in, uh, in the movie. Those were the real things. Everything else was kind of manufactured. Um, you know, some of them were like, you know, Guillermo's memory of when he was six years old and he saw the spider woman in a carnival. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was in Mexico or the States. And he's like, oh yeah, they did this thing and we got to do this and kind of wrote it in the script. And uh, we researched it and found out it was a real thing. He didn't, he didn't just make it up wow. and how they did it. And that like, we built this thing for this, the spider woman with the, the net and we had these amazing women sort of weave the spider web out of ropes. And we had, it was, it was such a combined effort just to do that little set piece and tent with, Mm -hmm. you know, between set deck and building and, and our, our, you know, props people and the costume and the prosthetic and fitting the actress and all of that. But um, well, and that, all, I mean, I guess just that sort of a great, I mean, first of all, the carnival set is so incredible. I mean, obviously the sort of hall of jars, you know, the pickled punks and yes. yeah, you know, and, and all the, and Enoch and all, and that's, a, which is such a homage to Guillermo's own fascination with those, you know, mm-hmm. the things in jars, et cetera, but also the, the fun house and which I know Guillermo was on Jimmy Kimmel and he brought his sketchbook and they had that drawing of the, uh, uh, he had that drawing of the, of the sort of devil face, yeah. you know, t- I mean, talk about designing the, the fun house. And then I'd love to know just sort of how you love to work with the cinematographer, Dan, and with costume and, it, it, you know, everything from sort of arriving at a color palette to, to practically executing all these suits, uh, sets together. Uh, so I just yeah. love to, yeah. Uh, well, this inter- the fun house was like a particularly difficult set to build. And we actually built the, that was one interior. We did build the interior on stage and the mm. exterior was oh. practical. And all those, that big devil's oh. head that moves up and down, that none of that's visual effects. That was all done wow. practically, which was extremely difficult. 
everything was sculpted, hand sculpted. Wow. I think the only thing found in that were the wonky mirrors uh-huh. that we, you know, where where uh, Stan looks yeah. at. We put, yeah. you know, I mean, that was fun because we had Guillermo had um, Guy Davis do the initial concepts for that, and Guy is um, an amazing concept artist. And he does a lot of the creature work with, with Guillermo. And um, so he, he did the initial pass with Guillermo and then presented me with these, like, how are we going to do this? <laughs> like, I mean, I'm the architect of it. I have to fit it in. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Guy Davis, for, for your brilliance. But um, you know, I have to fit it into this reality of a working set. And so I kind of, we picked it apart. And at first we had, you know, Guillermo wanted heaven and hell. And he always has these, re- these sort of religious themes that he's touching upon and the idea of man and sinner and this and that and I was just like okay we, we drew it up with heaven and hell it was just there wasn't enough room in the tent and we had a tent that we had to confine kind of confine the space to to say nothing of just the studio space we had available so we we nixed we nixed heaven we just got rid of heaven I had angels and all this stuff and it was just a bit frou-frou it just wasn't like you know, we wanted the fun house to kind of be hokey, but kind of like scary. Yeah, like, it's scary. Like the a, eyes, yeah. the eyes are incredible. The eyes, yeah, totally. Oh the eyes were like we had we made those eyes, three different types of eyes molded. We had eyes coming out of everywhere. I have I should publish talk, photos of them. Talk about the also the little the little tunnel, which reminds me of Carnival of Souls. Uh, well, that's uh, a, yeah, yeah. That's a, the, that that you see like I mean I remember those when I was a kid that was purely like oh yeah let's do the spinning barrel like when you right, 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 I remember right. like there were always sort of barn ones the hilly you know the hillbilly barn and you go through the stairs would go like right this, oh like like the hat, <laughs> and the barrel and you'd have to run through the barrel so that was that and then right right then Stan gets out and he's on a spinning floor in the eye what we called the eye room with the big yeah. eye that moved and you know all of that was made practically and and uh, you know so we had we were sculpting and we were layering and we had other animatronic sculpts that moved and Guillermo turned them off from when he finally, when we finally arrived at the set because I think it was actually too much but yeah <laughs> we had them all moving the whole thing was the the, the mechanics under that set was incredible wow um, yeah and I just you know I mean we so we just got into sculpting things and I pulled references from like French dioramas of hell we had this fantastic bill book that one of our graphics guys had that you know they used to do these miniature dioramas of hell with devils and stuff in them and it was a a real thing in the 1890s and so we were looking at that for our our you know devils and our and our demons in that fun house wow Um, it's almost like bosch it's almost like there's a bosch element (laughs) it was very bosch and and it was very like you know we we wanted you know, we pushed it over the limit, but then we were like making these crazy, like we had these crazy little green mountains that we just, they were super hokey. Like I was like, I, I got the, I got construction to make one. And it was like burlap. It was st- literally st- just like they would build it in that, in that era in the right. 1920s or thirties with right, sticks right, right. and then some chicken wire and then some burlap and slap some paint on it really hokey. And, and I showed it to Cameron. I was like, ah, is he going to like this? You know, because they were all over the place, these green mountains between all the things. And we had this big mountain entrance. And he was like, I love it. I love it. <laughs> perfect. And it was perfect. So it's just, you know, it sort of happenstance. We built a lot of things that just like I would go every day pretty much. Uh, you know, Guillermo would be sitting in like beautiful Lilith set. And I'd come in there with my iPad and shove it under his nose and say, 
here's the devil in progress. You like it? Here's the eyeballs. And I bring him an eyeball. <laughs> like, wow. you know, it was something we chipped away at for a long time, the funhouse. Um, but yeah, you know, Guillermo is very, um, you know, he, he, we have a thing when he's shooting, I'm like, I get my 10 minutes every morning after he does his blocking. So, and right. I get my, you know, here's, you know, I'm working on things that are shooting in weeks and months right. away. Right. So, right, right, um, right. but he's always very patient with me. <laughs> and so how do you, how do you like to, how do you then work uh, with, you know, with the cinematographer, with Dan and with costume and, and how do you guys like, to, I mean, again, I'm sure at this point, it's probably, there's a little bit of a, of a shorthand and an unspoken sort of, you know, magic language you guys yeah, have. I, but- mean, I had not worked with Dan in the capacity of production designer. Um, Shane, who's our set decorator, who's amazing, just top notch. He had worked with Dan a fair bit. And uh, so they had a language already. Um, and Shane is amazing in terms of practical lighting and how we're going to, you know, period practical lighting mm. on a, you know, in those Art Deco high society sets and Lilith sets and things like that. You know, we're, we have to test them. We have to show them we have so many conversations and so many tests um, just to make to make those decisions and make, the you know, make the right choices for lighting. You know, like things like we had a we had a skylight in um, Lilith's apartment Lilith's office that um you know Guillermo and I really wanted and Dan at first was sort of oh this is going to pose some problems for me this this is a it's a hard thing to light through a skylight in um in an office building it's going to change the light you know and then once he wrapped his head around it we had many conversations um he um you know, he embraced it and he actually changed the mood as, as the story evolves, you can see he started to use the skylight and it starts to become more sort of film noir and spooky mm. and creepy mm-hmm. lighting. At least mm-hmm. I, I really took that away from the second time I watched it, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. having not seen it for a while. And, you know, like he's, he, he's, you know, he's an artist with a paintbrush and when he's lighting like that, he's really, you know, I mean, the way he lit uh, Kate in that set was phenomenal. Um, Phenomenal. I mean, let's talk about that that set because so Lilith played by Kate Blanchett, who honestly should go down as one of the great you know grand dames of femme fatales and noir now oh because she's like, just it's just outstanding. I mean, even yeah. her first I, I the other when I was rewatching it last night, I just I froze it you know to go to the bathroom or something and came back and it was the still of her with the spotlight on her in the club right before she's about to sort of enter the right. scene. And I'm like, look at that. You don't I mean, I just you just you can freeze any frame and it was just it was remarkable. And so I've heard. Guillermo say that her office was, you know, apart from it's it's warm and it's beautiful with the wood and and there's also the Rorschach tests yes. inside the wood and and also everything is hidden, you know, yeah. because because she's such a puzzle box of a person. Totally, I mean, and and the, it was it was painful to build to design and build that, and our our carpenters had a lot, you know, they had to really figure a lot of stuff out mm-hmm. as we were designing and building it because there's all these hidden panels and you know. She has to, when Lilith opens a cupboard, it's like a dance move, right? Mm, and things mm. have to slide. Like, mm-hmm, and I mean, mm-hmm. I think I went in there about 50 times with the carpenters going, okay, this isn't sliding enough. <laughs> this isn't smooth enough. We got to make wow. it smoother, guys. We got to make it smoother. Wow. Um, uh, so it was it was difficult. It was a really complicated set um, to build. And it came from a very, very simple beginnings. Um, and it kind of grew and, you know, Guillermo kept wanting to get, both Guillermo and Dan um, wanted, kept wanting to lengthen it. So we kept lengthening it. And it, so that, you know, the, the two actors, really, there's only two actors in there for the most part, uh, mm-hmm. kind of, it, it was kind of like a dance through there. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I started thinking about it because, I, you know, when I was a kid, I studied dance and I loved dance. And you're asking my 
past influences. Yeah, yeah. And I, I sort of saw it as 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 a as a place that we could choreograph the actors through it, and and that's what happened. I mean, you really see that when you watch it. You know, that Lilith moves from one place to the other, and when Kate moves through there, I mean. You know, I met Kate early on when we were really just designing the um, the carnival and she came and we had it in VR so you could go through the carnival. She came with the kids. And she's like, I'll have none of that. But the kids loved it. Her kids loved it. And she was lovely. Like Kate's lovely. And I was so inspired by her. And, I, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm my little girl crush. Uh, I really, that set just was so important to me. Um, and I think it shows, you know, just I wanted to see Kate as this character, as this femme fatale uh, but powerful woman in a, in a period when women weren't that powerful when, you know, women were put down in the thirties, you know, mm-hmm, they weren't, mm-hmm. you know, she was playing a character that had a lot of verb, like a lot more verb than, you know, my daughter and young women of today kind of can, can figure. And, um, but I, I'm old enough. I can relate to the fact that, you know, she's, she's a powerful female character and, um, you know, she's and she's an amazing actress, an amazing actress playing a powerful female character. And I just wanted to make this beautiful set that would just be as beautiful as as her and her mm-hmm. costumes. And, you know, and at one point she came up to me and and I just about fainted. She grabbed me and said and she was she was kind of made up and she had her big red lips and her hair up. So she's a bit scary as Lilith. Not Kate as Kate is not scary, but Kate as Lilith was a bit scary. And she grabbed me and said, you're amazing. And I went, oh my God, she's telling me I'm amazing. I'm going to keep Blanchett telling me I'm amazing. And I thought I was going to keel over. Anyways. Well, you are. Happy. Well, you are. You are. You are. And that set is, I mean, I honestly, now that you tell me about the dancing, I mean, I know Guillermo at the DGA had said that he, his direction to her was to move like a big cat, you know, to move like a, like a right. lion. And then, and then what I love now that I'm thinking about is like, there's the, you come into the office and there's the reclining couch on the right. And then there's her sort of thrown on the left. And then there's the desk and then there's space behind the desk. So it's like you created all yeah. this space so that there's also people can have barriers between each other. And it's just so it's, it's was really one of the more amazing, especially the shot where Bradley first goes into the office when Guillermo, when Guillermo does the hinge and it's like, Oh my God. Wow. I mean this, you're entering a whole, it's a, like you said, it's one room, but it's a world, you know? Yeah. So it's, and you know, like really we, we had the two, they're trapped in that room too. So it's, it's a room, but it's also a cage. And I, there was so many cages in Nightmare Alley. Just, just when I look back on it, you know, the geek pit was a cage, and mm. the and the geek was in a cage. You know that we had built like, and every everywhere Stan went felt like he was a he is a bit of a caged animal. And I I think that was a very subconscious kind of design feature. Mm-hmm. You know, when he goes to the funhouse, he's caged and he's always entrapped. And there was all this, you know, circle theme that mm-hmm. kind of came mm-hmm. out intuitively yeah. between me and Guillermo that he's always like in a circle he's in a circle when he's in the Copacabana uh-huh. you know it's a circular room and and he's uh, you know everything was either he was trapped in a circle or he's trapped in a long alley and like Lilith was sort of a combination of both right right but, yeah I want to it felt like it's a very internal even though it has a big huge window it's a very internal space where mm. you know when when they're telling like 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 he he's he she's the con man who outcons the con man so yeah when they're when they're trapped in there when she's she's trapped him like you know like the spider in the web with this delicious interior like it's so so i guess i wanted it to be as seductive as she was um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but also 
you know, there's a coldness and a meanness to her in my mind. And I kind of wanted that to be part of it as well, I think. No, you know, I don't over, I try not to overthink those things. I'm just trying to make something that looks, feels right and looks mm. like really, like not just amazing, but looks real and amazing. And, um, you know, Guillermo, you know, he likes to, he likes texture and, you know, and, and the substrate, the, the, the finish, you know, so we, we chose to do marble floors in there to get, and that was, you know, between Dan and Guillermo and Shane, the decorator and myself, we had so many conversations about the flooring. We were going to carpet it because so many of those art deco interiors that were wood, were they were all carpeted or they had mm-hmm. wood floors. Mm-hmm. And, and we went back and forth. We actually built an entire carpet. And at the last minute, I, 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 we, t- we decided to do real marble, which actually sounds shocking, but real marble on a film set is probably just as expensive um, as as doing it as a, a scenic paint job mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and then once we decided together that we wanted that shine and that and then the lights hitting it and 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 that again to me was part of the dance the dance in the cage to have this you know shiny dance floor and there's a bit of a you know a nod to like all the cedric gibbons films of the 1930s all those amazing art deco sets that mm. you know they were doing back then that i was also looking at Mm, well, yeah, and also the idea of almost that weird black mirror, you know, that that Brett stands mm. on top of because there's so many like he's always in mirrors, yeah. especially in the city when he gets yeah. to the city when the city is all hard surfaces and polished surfaces and steel and marble and 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 uh, uh, you know the other the other uh, sequence that is just so I don't just beautiful is when he goes to see when they do the the spook show for. Grindle with Richard Jenkins yeah. and the, yeah. you know, and, and now that that's all outside. I mean, talk about, you know, how you, how you choose that location and then what, if, what, what, if anything you guys did to it in that last sequence with the snow and, and when, when he, when he kills Grindle. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that's another location just outside of Toronto. That's a, a historic home that has this incredible garden that was built by the, by, um, you know, a wealthy car manufacturer for his wife. So that that's an existing garden. I mean, we did a lot of work on it. The little the little building where he's got sort of a memorial. We built that. We mm-hmm. it's actually like uh, you can go and buy ice cream bars there in the summer when that place <laughs> is open. So we did we did some sculpted pieces on that and some art. We did arched openings. We you know because it was really this drab little. It looks like a place you go buy ice cream. Uh, but all the gardens, all the um, all the, the fountains down the middle, you know, that's all existing. We added some, we added some trees and we did a lot of burlap wrap trees, which Guillermo loves to, the whole burlap wrap tree thing. It's a bit of a thing for him because I did it on the strain when I worked on the strain with him. We were wrapping a lot of trees in burlap. Um, I think it's just, again, it's that mummification thing mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm, you know, there's mm-hmm. certain things that I just know Guillermo loves to do. And then, uh, you know, we did a full snow dress, even though it was cold, 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 cold and snowing. And sometimes the snow would melt and sometimes it wouldn't. And we built we built the gate uh, that he goes in. And then the, the back part of that, where he run where he runs over the um, mm-hmm. Grindle's henchman, yeah. it was built in a in a in a lot close to the studio. Ah, so okay. we did part of it on location. So parts of that are built. Parts are built to match what's there. Parts are built. uh on a totally different area. Um, but, uh, you know, 
most of it was just really this beautiful garden. And we, we took the house. Um, one of the things I proposed, which I think sold it to Guillermo, because he was definitely sold on that garden when we when we looked at the location. Hmm. But I took the house. Um, so there's a house that is there. You see the house in the garden. That's not actually there. It's just a bunch of trees. So oh, one wow. of my first things was to take, I photoshopped the house in where I wanted it to be, did an illustration of it and, <laughs> and said, see, Guillermo, this is, we can make this happen with a little help from VFX. And, um, and that really sold it, I think, to all of us. You know, that's a lot of, a lot of what I like to do is sort of like, pre-vis even the vfx and mm -hmm, try mm -hmm. and you know get something that you know it made it, it's the one thing that made the made it work for us was to put the house right at the edge of the garden you know because mm -hmm. then his uh grindle's henchman hears him and he's inside which is a different location altogether right but um right. yeah trying to but seamlessly marry all those Right. And that's also like, you're, you know, you're telling the story, you know, it's not necessarily yeah. about, about, oh, I just need to design this or build that. Or it's like, no, what's going to tell the story in this wonderful way. Um, and mm -hmm. I guess, I, I guess like, you know, when just to, to ask, you know, when you just as a story and when you, when you read the script and sort of when you were just thinking about the film, I mean, how did, how did it make you feel? And, and what, what, what was it about Nightmare Alley that kind of surprised you and, and, and uh, was, was just sort of one of your, one of the things that really drew you to it in terms of, oh, wow, this might be something different or special, or I'm just, I'm just curious. Um, I mean, I was drawn to it because of Guillermo, because I love to work with Guillermo and, and uh, you know, and he, um, you know, he's just such a, he's such, he's such a great visionary. So, you know, it's an easy call for a designer to go. Oh, yeah, Sure, 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 perfect. sure. Um, when I first read the story, I was just like, okay, this is, um, I read the book uh, on Guillermo's urging. Right. Basically. He, he kind of said, everybody should read the book. And the book was dense. Like there's a lot in the book that, you know, I, it, it was actually, I, I had to kind of read it and then forget about it because it was, mm. it wasn't, it was flavoring what I, my vision of it wanted to be. Same thing with the original movie. We watched it and then I tried to like put it out of my head a bit because mm -hmm. I didn't want mm -hmm. it to affect, I wanted to do certain nods to it, like to honor it, but I didn't want to be affected by it. Uh, when I first read the script, I was like, wow, this is cool. Like, this is a cool story. This is, a." I think the thing that struck me more than anything was it was a very different story for Guillermo, like a mm -hmm. very, I don't want to say mature, just like it, the monsters are the men mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and the women. Uh, they're not monsters. It's not a typical creature movie that Guillermo likes to do. And, you know, yet there are creatures in it. Um, and that struck me as, as something that he's, you know, it's like, the work of an auteur director who's kind of going somewhere. And I, I don't think he cares how, like what people think of the film. He just needed to make it. He sure, wanted sure. to tell the story and talk about the human condition and human relationships. And, you know, the, the, the sadness of man, really. Mm. I mean, you know, and I think, um, I don't think Bradley Cooper gets enough accolades as an actor in that because his performance was uh, to me phenomenal and he really brought he brought that and it it's not a character you like like nobody really likes Stan you no. know and that's not but that's not what the movie's about you know and it's and and also I think you know Guillermo at the very beginning said well like let's not think of this as a film noir even though it was a very film noir story and a mm -hmm. film noir mm -hmm. from a film noir time uh, let's just do our own movie. And so I think we all approached it as like, let's do 
our our vision, which is Guillermo's vision, like him leading the pack, and um, and make it our own, and 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 go on this journey. And like you know, you do some carnival research, and you find out, oh, they did this, and like, oh, look at these banners, and oh, wow, this is well, this is remarkable. Let's you know, we just look at stuff and go, oh, look at oh look, this contortionist. Oh, they right. had a snake man. Oh, let's put a snake man. Oh, we know this guy, Troy, you know, this actor <laughs> who was the contortionist. We had used him before as a vampire in the strain. And we were like, oh, okay, well, let's put him in. Okay, well, these banners, we'll give him a stage, give him a little persona. So it was a bit like that, like, you know, because the bulk of the story, you know, was there, but, you know, so it was, it was a bit, um, it was a certain fluidity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Guillermo kind of, I shouldn't say that because he does know what he wants from the very get go. And, and you sort of pursue that, like the pickled punks, for example, like that was just a hundred percent Guillermo. Mm. And, and then, and then like, I took it and I did like 50, I felt like 50 million different, uh, positioning of the, the jars and how Dan was going to light them. And we, it took a lot of figuring out to get you know, the, the viscosity and the color of the liquid in the pickled punk jars. And we had to make, you know, each prosthetic had to be weighted down and glued in, or they float to the top of the jars. I mean, it was just <laughs> the intricacies of trying to get that done and, 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 and make it something that it feels like, you know, there's like, like Guillermo has a style and I get the style obviously as, as a designer that's worked with him, but you know, you just like, it's just like exactly Guillermo. Exactly. What part of that stuff? What part of this viscous, yellowy liquid mm-hmm. do you want? What, you know, what part of this nicotine? He keeps saying nicotine. And I'm like, mm. wow, how nicotine? <laughs> you know, right, right, so it's a lot right. of, you know, we did a lot of testing, a lot of sampling, a lot of like the reds of the geek pit, you know, where we tested so many reds. I would be bringing him swatches of, re- of red paint to set, sometimes still wet. I'm like, what do you think of this gear? I'm like, you know, the geek pit, you want to go this red? He'd go, yes. And I'd be, oh my God, Guillermo. Uh, okay, <laughs> let's do it. Um, you know, so it's it's like you know, it's very uh, organic um, back and forth process. Uh, and something like that. no, it's wonderful. I mean, I you know, to me, I think what what's so special about the movie is that it's it really does speak to today. I mean, you know, I noir it, it, as Guillermo said many times, noir is noir and horror movies really are the most reflective of their times and they can comment on their times, you know. And so this even though it's set in a period, you know, uh, uh, post-depression and pre-World War, it's so about what's going on right now with this sort of disconnect of reality and people listening to each other and this blind mm-hmm blind ambition for success and for money that is so hollow and empty, which is, which is Stanton, you know, is Stanton really this, yeah. it's never going to be enough. Right. And I thought the, but the, I thought the magic trick that you all pulled off and that the movie pulls off is it kind of reminded me of, do you know, the movie La Strada? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I remember Martin Scorsese saying, you know, the tough part about that movie is at the end, you feel bad for Zampano when he's crying on the beach after he's realized that he's resulted in the death of, of uh, uh, Juliana Maslany. And I thought to myself, when he laughs, Mr. I was born for it at the end, you feel sorry for Stan. Like you, you, he, I mean, he knows who he is now. He knows he's the geek that he's always been the geek and, and he's just been running from that and hiding it. But you really do feel sympathy for him at the end, which is a really, really amazing trick. Like you said, because you don't, you're not supposed to like him, you know, uh, uh, and you still don't like him, but you, but anyway, that's how I felt. And I just thought it was, it was a remarkable film in that way that it, the complexity of the emotions and and what it was saying were so wonderful, but 
all of it's buried, you know, all of it's, it's just in yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, even I feel like I have to see the film again because, you know, like, you know, like he's also charming Stan and right, uh, right, interesting right. thing for me, you know, one of the things I, I, I I've spoken to this uh, a little, I've spoken about this a little bit with some people. It's like every, like a lot of the main characters, they had a place and you know, like even Molly, she, we, we built her a caravan. We personalized mm. it. She had little photos of, had her favorite chocolate. She had her favorite books of poetry. We gave Guillermo wrote a background for her a bio. And we imbued that. She had an obsession with shoes. We had little shoes. And, you know, you don't see much of it, but we we she had a place, and then and then mm. she had a place again. Like the hotel room to me was mostly Molly's place, not so much Stan's place. Mm-hmm, um, and, mm-hmm. and Lilith had a place, and Grindel has a place, and even the Spider Woman has a place. You know, mm. his wife and Clem has a place. But Stan really, like, he was just kind of a homeless guy throughout the whole story. He's mm. he never had a place to hang his hat. And, like, you know, he burned his home in the beginning, his childhood home. He burned his father. He killed his father. And he just never could hang that hat. And it's kind of this, like, train wreck of a guy who it doesn't have a space. And as a production designer, it's just like, how do I deal with this character? Like, what can mm. I do to kind of, you know frame him and I kept that's where I kept thinking you know we had circles so you know and I know Guillermo and both Guillermo and I love the 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 idea of the circle and they're going around in a circle and it's like that endlessness and that Stan is trapped in this circle of beginning to end and he's always the same and so like you know we did we played that up you know with the circle and the dressing room door in the into the dressing room um sorry I just heard something no that's okay (laughs) Um, uh, so, you know, so sort of framing him in a, in, in, in a circle or capturing him in this cave, uh, you know, and again, I, those aren't things I purposely thought of. They were just things, um, things that came to be, you know, mm-hmm. just kind mm-hmm. of naturally, uh, yeah, well, it's, a, it's consciously in a way. Well, I think that's also kind of an interesting thing that you're, you know, even, even, I think from the outside people imagine, and, and, and certainly he, he, he sounds like he is Guillermo is, you know, everything is sort of planned and meticulous, but yet it, it also sounds like he's so very open and so very collaborative and, and, and does want there to be this organic exchange of ideas and, and, and that the project ultimately lives on its own and starts to kind of lead you right. Before, yeah. As, a, as a, yeah. Yeah. And very much so I was like, I, I don't even think Guillermo, like he comes in with certain ideas and he has a certain style and a certain look, but he also just wants to like, he wants his department heads to kind of take their own journey too and mm. take him along with it. So whereas he's taking you along with a journey of what he's written, you're also going on, you're taking him on a journey of like, Oh, well, look what I found. And, you know, and I mean, Guillermo was like, he's crazy. He would buy things on eBay. Like he bought like in the, in the hotel lobby, we had these little uh, post box things. He bought like, I don't know, there was like 200 of them on eBay. Oh, we have to use these. And I'm like, <laughs> Okay, they're really cool. Okay, well, but was, he was buying like little prop things, and like he just, you know, um, yeah. We, I, I bought this, I a straight edge razor he bought on eBay, a 1920s straight edge razor. Like a very, he's, so he, like it's just he's into the the micro and the macro. So, right. which I'm into too. I love that. You know, you just you you get a director who's like, 
oh my god he's actually buying props like that's so cool that is that, <laughs> always is, done that. that is so cool that is so cool yeah. okay well i've already taken enough enough of your time and i wanted to ask just one last question before we go uh you know for anybody who wants to do what you want to do and young artists young young designers or filmmakers you know what advice do you have for them oh um i educate yourself you know travel even if it's online <laughs> you know especially during a pandemic um just like just become a aware of everything i mean i study studying art history is is as important as you know and reading great literature watching old movies is as important as learning how to knit like you just you kind of want to grab it grab everything and understand everything i and that's what the way i've been i think that's my greatest uh, talent is to just want to dabble into everything you know Mm -hmm. and um and appreciate the arts and 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 learn like you know, meet people and network and learn. And, and if you can draw, you know, draw, like if you can write, write. And if you can't do them anyways, <laughs> I don't know, you know, just well uh, get out there and grab life by the horns. Well said. Well said. Thank you, Tamara. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.